McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Poppy fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 90. Well it's four points out of two games and if we're playing 4-4-2, attacking and creating chances, I'm a happy man. Joining me on the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you Freddie? I'm doing very well Hugh, how are you? I'm good mate. As I said, great win against Crew. You know, the Oxford result didn't quite go away and we'll talk through the, you know, the bits and bobs to do with that. But genuinely speaking, four points from two games, I'm pretty happy in the way we're playing. Yeah, I am as well. I think four points was the minimum that Portsmouth could have, uh, I think fans could have asked for from those those two games. But the performances were there. The performance against Crew was really good, even though they played attractive football, had a lot of possession. Think of it this way, they didn't do with it, deal with it as much and got most of their chances after Portsmouth scored their goals. And against Oxford, we had chances to win the game, hit the bar a couple of times. It was just a bit unlucky, really, but we'll, we'll go we'll go over that. Exactly. Right, so first we're going to go on and review the crew game. Following on from that, we're going to go and review the game against Oxford. And we've got some wicked interviews lined up for you today just to sort of get us the lowdown on the two fixtures coming up. So uh, first of all, we've got Lewis, who works for the media team for Kings Lynn, and he gives us the lowdown on that. Because let's be honest, me and Freddie don't know anything about Kings Lynn. So it was really good to talk to Lewis. And then following that, we've got the game coming up on Tuesday against Blackpool. And we're talking to Tom from the UTMP or Up the Mighty Pool podcast. And he's got some really cool things to say about Blackpool and give you guys the lowdown. Right, Freddie, let's get into this, mate. We've got lots to cover in this. So let's start with Crew. It was a game where Pompey come out winning 4-1 with a real sort of, I think it's 32% possession overall. So clinical and taking their chances. And how did you see the game? <clears throat> it was a strange one because obviously a lot of people will look at the style of play of both, of both teams. Crew play some really attractive, high-pressing football and love to play out from the back. But just like... Portsmouth did against Sunderland. It reminded me a lot of that game. Portsmouth pressed their three centre-halves and they didn't like it whatsoever. They absolutely hated it. And that's where Portsmouth got most of their chances from. And if Portsmouth keep creating their chances from from pressing opposition teams' defence and then scoring them, then Portsmouth should be all right this season. Yes, um, Ryan Stilwell basically said that sometimes Portsmouth struggle to break through teams in a traditional sense and I do agree that is an issue and it might be something that may come back to bite, bite the team in the future but but really I, I don't see how you can be annoyed with a 4-1 win I don't No, neither do I and people were worried about Ronan Curtis coming back from international duty was that going to affect him was he going to be fatigued but he looked more fired up didn't he than usual 
that's something to say as well. And he was really clinical of taking those chances right on the front, pressing from the front. So let's talk about that first goal from Ronan Curtis. Freddie, just talk us through your thoughts on how Ronan took that goal. I thought Ronan was excellent all game. It showed that many people were worried about him just having fatigue, uh, basically from the international duty. But uh, but honestly, he came back firing and took away the doubts completely. It was a very good ball from John Marquis. The through ball to him scuffs his shot a bit, but doesn't really matter. He was accurate anyway, right in the corner. And the second goal, he pressed the defender and took it around the keeper. I mean, that's that's exactly what you want from your attacking players. Under the old 4-2-3-1 formation, I don't think Portsmouth would have done that. Maybe a tiny bit, if you remember that period between January and March, where the pressing was really good, but that, that's not a, that wasn't a consistent part of Portsmouth's game plan, but now it truly is. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think... Ronan actually looks a little bit more dynamic in this formation. It's not just that he gets the ball in this situation, he's coming in and shooting. He's actually doing a more wide variety of moves. So we'll talk about his cross for the goal again against Oxford. Then he's got this, the first goal he's pressed and got it. And the second goal, it was really opportunist. And he gets that ball. And I've got to say, I think it's an underrated finish from Ronan Curtis just to drag the ball. And just then as he's going down to the floor to manage to, to get it into the goal. So that's a player playing with a lot of confidence. But... Crew, obviously, mate, they're a good team in the way they pass, aren't they? They're a pretty team to watch. Um, you know, I, I actually enjoyed watching them play and get on the ball, but lacks that clinical edge. And do you think this is the sort of thing that Portsmouth have been lacking in, in past, maybe? That ability to just take our chances so clinically. And is that the formation, Freddie, that's made that difference? Absolutely. <clears throat> Portsmouth have struggled with creating chances for a long time, especially against Top 10 sides, top six, uh, top six sides. Yes, you've seen Portsmouth many times score 3-0 against teams at the bottom of the division when when at the start they look like they're struggled, but then they nick a goal from a set piece and then they're suddenly on top again and the confidence goes. But this time it's really different. Um, if you look at the expected goals for the game, uh, which measures quality of chances, Portsmouth was 2.46 compared to Cruz 2.11, which sounds awful. It looks like both teams created the same amount of chances and that's true, but Portsmouth scored all theirs. Uh, XG isn't a perfect formula for that. It, it may, it, it's it's a rough guideline of quality of chances. And I think another thing that was interesting of how Portsmouth press, which has changed from what it was, Portsmouth usually press with two players against the three centre-halves. I'm going to use a stat called PPDA, which is passes allowed per defensive action. And obviously, since crew retain possession, a lot of shot passing, Portsmouth's number is generally going to be higher, and it's a rough indicator of how much a team presses. So after the first goal, Portsmouth's PPDA between 16 and half an hour, when they were 1-0 up, was 42, and that's mental. That's off the scale, dropping very deep and so on. But still, the front uh, players like John Marquis, players like Ronan Curtis, the two of them were pressing their three centre-halves. It's just that the rest of them tucked back into a structured back floor, so Ports have had for, for, finally Ports have had both the pressing and the defensive shape, which they missed so much. And that number throughout the entire game between forty six and sixty minutes, and in that gap when Ports have scored their two goals, it was down all the way to seven point three for passes allowed per defensive action. And that's when Ports have got right on top of Crew, and they couldn't get any chances after that. 
And we saw with the Plymouth game before that Pompey started in that dreaded 4-2-3-1 formation and then changed it to 4-4-2 and that changed the game around and how he played. I sort of felt like the game against Crew was more of a continuation of the game against Plymouth, another team who liked to pass the ball out, which are teams that we struggled about recently as well. So... I think that it was great to see Pompey actually taking the chances. And again, John Marquis getting a goal in that game and keeping his goal-scoring run going. Oh, absolutely. John's been, John's been great since the formation changed. I've been really happy with actually how he's been used. He's not playing in attacking midfield anymore, so none of us are going to lose our minds whenever we see him in the team sheet. I always knew that he needed both. He needed to take his chances to build his confidence and he needed the formation around him. And it's not like the first league one season when it was just Brett Pittman scoring 25 goals and everybody else scoring nothing. This is a well-rounded side. We get chances from all over the place and a lot of players contribute to scoring goals. And it's also the di- the different types of goals that Portsmouth are scoring now. Yes, it's not perfect um, in terms of controlling the possession from start to finish. And yes, they've had trouble, uh, trouble with breaking down the team's defensive structure at times, playing through them, and obviously the defensive mishaps, which we'll go on to later. But I generally think with this new formation, it is something that Portsmouth can build on, and it's actually a sign that this team, even though we've had two false dawns already, this team might actually be at least in the top six of the playoffs and maybe above that. Think about the games when Portsmouth started off. Think that Wigan game with the 4 2 3 one and it was exactly what we thought it would be. It was dreadful. But now with this change, I'm brought back on side again, I think. Yeah, and as you think about Crew as well, they had two a 2 0 win against Peterborough before that as well. Obviously, you know how good Peterborough are. And what Pompey did really well is I was concerned about the likes of Pickering on the left hand side, Perry NG on the right hand side. Their fullbacks get forward very well. Um, you've got Kirk up front in front of uh, Harry Pickering on the left and combining the two together, they create a lot of chances. Pompey managed to really negate those chances really well on the fullback positions as well as being able to get forward and break quickly when Crew tried to, to get the ball moving forward. So overall, from a structural point of view, I'm very happy. And if we come out with only 32% possession but win games 4-1, I think most of the fans would be pretty happy as well. Let's just touch on the Tom Naylor goal as well because Tom Naylor seems to... He's, he's, he's realising in this 4-4-2 situation that he's got the ability not just to have to marshal in front of the defence and sit back and you know not go much further forward into the other opposition's box. And he's actually appearing more on the end of the box in that sort of uh, role that I think Pompey fans are more accustomed to seeing Ben Close appearing in than Tom Naylor. Or a Gareth Evans back in the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly or Gareth Evans. Thing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Freddie, is, is Tom Naylor just been taken aside and worked on his shooting skills and his is he worked on his <coughs> movement? Or let's be honest, this is something he's had in, in, the, in, his, uh, in his locker and now he's being able to play that out, right? I really liked how Tom Naylor's been playing. And yes, I, I think... It does help that he's got that he had two goals before that. So obviously, when he set himself up on his, I can't remember his left foot or right foot, excuse me. But when he set himself up in that space, you think, oh, he's confident enough to have a shot here instead of trying a, a, a through ball, which would be very difficult through three players or spraying it up right or over. Centre midfield has been a really weird thing in this four four two. Both Cannon and Naylor almost act like box to box midfielders now. When on the attack, they're immediately forward. One stays back, the other goes forward. One arrives late into the box. And yeah, I I do like the fact that it's working now. I think Tom Naylor can play that role. 
Yes, we've joked about how sometimes he can't pass forwards, but he's he seems to have worked on that a lot as well. And he's looking like a player that if Portsmouth don't have him in their side, then they're really going to struggle, aren't they? Massively. And I've got to say, playing with the really energetic Andy Cannon next to him as well, they seem to be feeding off each other in that way that they get forward and they press and they get back and they're almost sort of bouncing off each other in that style of football, which is great because when we looked at it before, when we had, say, Bryn Morris playing along the side of him in the centre, um, we talk about it from a sense of they both. he looked very pedestrian next to Tom Naylor, almost trying to mirror what Tom Naylor does, which wasn't necessary because Tom Naylor was already doing it. Now Tom Naylor's playing with Andy Cannon and the two of them are getting forward, getting back well, still defending well enough as well. So they're hard to break down Portsmouth as well as knowing when to get forward. So it's pretty exciting time for me in the centre of midfield. Again, let's hope though that we don't get injuries to those two key players because if we do, it might be a little bit of a different look for Pompey. I think if if Portsmouth get two injuries, if, if Portsmouth get one injury in centre midfield, then they will struggle. You've got Ben Close who... <clears throat> I think he's underrated in his defensive play, but when you looked at those two games, he he was trying a lot to try to get back into this side with very extravagant passes. Yes, he's comfortable on the ball, but he was making a lot of mistakes because he was probably stressed about not starting. He's gone. He was gone from being a complete linchpin in midfield to being on the bench, and he wanted to try and show Kenny Jacket that he he should be a part of the starting eleven, and he hasn't in those two or three games that he's played. And I'm sorry, Bryn Morris doesn't do it for me enough either. Um, there was what the only game I was impressed with him was again uh, Stevenage, the first game of the season against Stevenage in the cup. And when he came on against Plymouth, he was okay in terms of getting the ball, distributing it properly. But he doesn't have the same. Uh, 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 he doesn't have the ability to go box to box like Andy Cannon and Tom Naylor can. I don't think he's more of a deep line playmaker. He's an outball where if Portsmouth have got a lot of people forward. If the ball comes to Bryn Morris, he'll put a a reasonable ball out wide. But that's not how that's not how this formation works. I think Ben Clo I think both players can potentially get there, but they will be a drop. I think in this system, I think I think Ben Close has got more chance of being important in a system than Bryn Morris does. But I think that's a, more of a personal preference from me. I think. No, I agree. And we've seen that Ben Close can do something with the ball. But at the moment, let's just hope that Andy Cannon and Tom Naylor keep up what they're doing because they are, without being corny, the engine of the midfield at the moment and providing us with that ability to get forward, add numbers to the attack as well um, and allow us to to you know to create some decent chances. Let's move on then. Um, oh, actually, weren't say I should probably talk about the, um, the penalty, I suppose. Um, it's not a penalty, is it, Freddie, in the end of that game? It's unlucky, isn't it? Um... You can see the why the referee gave it. They're t- they're trying uh, the new handball rule. They're trying to take out was their intent, and they're trying to do with well, the silhouette thing to make it an easier decision. But it was blasted at Lee Brown from two yards away. I mean, it's not like the Plymouth penalty where uh, I can't remember who which defender it was, but he had his hand right over his face. His hand, Lee Brown's hand, was behind his side. I thought it was very unlucky, but it doesn't really matter because the game was dead anyway. It matters to Craig, mate. He was fuming. He went over the goal and he sort of kicked the post, didn't he? When he went bananas back. He really mate. wanted this clean sheet on his 100th appearance. I do feel for him. He, he, he's been playing excellently as well. Yes, he has. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll go on to him in the Oxford game more. But he seems to come up with one crucial save every game to keep the side in it. And 
Yeah, he's taken that first choice ahead of Alex Bass and has kept it. There's no way he's going to be replaced this season. No, let's let's go straight into that now. So I was going to go into the Oxford game. Craig McGivery in this game, talk me through why you think he was such an important player for those saves. <sighs> important player because um, Portsmouth were under the cosh with that triple substitution by um, Carl Robinson. When Obita, Sykes and McGuane came on, Oxford had a lot more dynamism. I think it was mainly fresh legs compared to a tactical difference, but they were on Portsmouth a lot. They were pressing more, and and that save that he made, uh, McGilvery made from McGuane when McGuane cut inside. That was that that shot was going in the top corner all day long. It was going in the top corner, and if that went in, it would be a completely different game. Craig does really well. I still think he's very good in the air. His shot stopping is his best attribute for me. His distribution's reasonable for a League One goalkeeper, and Portsmouth are a much better side with him in it than without. I think. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, let's talk about the goal. Ragaldinho, he gets up and gets it. Again, I'm going to say the ball in from Curtis. It's, it's great, isn't it? It's, it's a great ball. It's, it's put in the box and Raggett attacks it in exactly the right position. He said he stayed up for the goal. He said he's got more goals to come from. There's more goals to come from Raggett. <laughs> I remember uh, when we were at the Tranmere game away, Freddie, and um, didn't think Raggett was scoring. He came up and we're singing if Raggett scores, we're on the pitch. Maybe people were singing that from home, but Raggett gets a goal. He stays up and it's a great ball in from Ronan Curtis, really. And he makes that goal, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. It was a very good tactical play by Portsmouth, actually. Raggett staying up, but, but if you noticed, I can't remember who it was, but, but somebody went all the way back and covered for Raggett while he was forward. So even if it didn't work, Portsmouth were fine defensively. Very good header by Tom Naylor to Ronan Curtis on the wing to recycle the play and then Curtis just skins his man and puts in a very whipped cross switch. and then Ragger did really well he, he 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 was against three defenders for that goal and he did excellently well took it took it on his head with a plum and it was an excellent goal for me and aerially I think across the league he's one of the top leaders in aerial duels winning as well from a defensive perspective so you think with a player with that sort of ability he does have that ability to, to contribute more with some goals which you've seen people like Jack Watmore get up and score um, a goal this season as well it would be nice to see our centre-back scoring goals because I think when you get your centre-back scoring as well as your attacking players from set pieces that's when you really can push on and kill teams off isn't it? It, it just helps um, balance a balance in your goal scorers always helps you don't like um, I don't mind having I'm sorry the, the days of just having the 25 goal season striker and then everybody else getting nothing are gone. If you just have that and nobody else, you're not going to get promoted anyway, I don't think. it's. I've always thought that Raggett's been very, very solid in the air. And it's not just because of his height. He, his positioning for aerial crosses is very good and he likes to attack the ball, which is very positive. Obviously, we know what we know what his weaknesses are defensively. If someone, if someone tries to skin him in a dribble, he doesn't like that very much. Sometimes his, sometimes his defensive positioning when someone drives at him Again, it's questionable, but yeah, in terms of aerial duels, he's right up there um, in the division. I don't have the stat on me, but I can look that up for you now. Yeah, I know he's right up there as well. And I think that what we need a little bit when you see with Burgess, we played with him last season as well. And hopefully what we see a bit more with Jack Watmore with him as well is the fact that Jack knows how to cover the space. He's the intelligent, clever defender at the back who knows positionally where to be. And you saw at the start of the season, there's a few times when Raggett got beat and Jack even made a clearance off the line as such because of his positional awareness. So this is League One and 
defenders, a lot of them, we, I think we're a bit spoiled with Jack Watmore when he's fit, but defenders will have their ups and downs about stuff. And Raggett's qu- clearly better in the air than he is at ball to feet. But if we can get crosses into him that are quality, and the same from corners, quality delivery into the box, um, I think he'll be able to chip in with a couple more of those. Um, okay, let's talk about that substitution. Um <sighs> Carl Robinson makes a good substitution. It changes the game with him bringing on Obita, Sykes and Egwene onto the pitch. It, it changes the game on its head, doesn't it, Freddie? Pompey looked fairly comfortable up at 1-0. I thought we could have taken some chances as well in the first half and into the second half that would have really put Oxford beyond, you know, beyond sight. But fair play to Carl Robinson. He makes those changes and the game completely turns. Absolutely, yeah. Again, as we, as we touched on earlier, it was a sense of Probably fatigue of Oxford. The, the fresh legs really helped, which I thought Kenny Jacket would make those changes. He didn't. Some people look at the Portsmouth bench and go, is there really a lot of options there? But yeah, Oxford did very well with, with just changing the players. I don't think it was anything. I don't think it was a, a ta- proper tactical decision or anything. I don't think it was anything special from the manager. It was just the fact of a lot of his midfield were tired, brought on those fresh legs, and then they just attacked Portsmouth when they were weak. And yeah, I think put uh, Kane Jacket really will have to use his subs properly, considering you can now make five subs. He's really going to have to use that to his um, advantage, like he did against Plymouth when he made two changes at half-time and changed the formation. Portsmouth looked completely different. He has to keep doing that to be on the top of the play, I think. Is it a case then... Then we know that the substitutions bringing on Brim Morris and Ryan Williams, it flopped, didn't it? It, it did, flopped yeah. this time. That's fair to say it flopped. But is it is it fair to say, Freddie, that maybe it, as a manager you're going to make substitutions and they're not always going to work out and maybe we can't be too hard on Kenny Jacket every time it goes wrong? Or is it a case, potentially, that we haven't seen anything out of Brim Morris which makes you think that he's going to change a game or he's going to be the kind of player to make us have that impetus to get the ball forward and, you know, really get on the attack and win this game. Do we, can we hold Kenny Jacket accountable for this one and say, why Bryn Morris? I think you can, considering that Ben Close is also on the bench, personally. And if you want a player who's confident on the ball and is going to attack and try risky passes, then you choose Ben Close on Bryn Morris every time. It's just the fact that Ben Close's performances haven't been good enough this season. I think yeah, I think most people could argue that, even if you really like Ben Close as a player, but he hasn't earned playing in this side yet. He hasn't. And you could argue that's because the manager hasn't given him enough chances, and I think so too. But it means that the substitutions, in the centre of midfield anyway, are going to be less effective. Let's have a look at the subs, who he could have brought on. Mm-hmm. Ryan Williams was the obvious one out of all of them. For in terms of either wing, as much as his end product, and Frankie Rudland for Pompey News now did a great article on Ryan Williams's end product or lack of. Even though his end products can be questionable, he's very good off the ball. He's very good at dribbling. He causes a lot of problems. He creates space for old players, and that's a perfect bench option. You have Jordy Hewler, who on paper is a good player to bring on, but. He's only played one game in the Hammond Pineapple Trophy and he looks like a player who hasn't played a game since March and is knackered because he has another preseason. And that's only going to change if you actually give him minutes. So if you cross him out, you have Close or Morris. And for me, Morris is a, a deep line playmaker 
I'd have to look into his stats a little bit more to figure out what what more he actually adds to this team. But for me, he doesn't do it at the moment without looking to him in it, without me looking at it in more detail. Uh, uh, Devil's Advocate, though, when he came on against Ipswich, when Portsmouth changed to one up front, I thought it worked really well in that scenario because the players were leggy and the extra man in the midfield gave a bit more stability and the passes were going into the front three. The tactic was simpler and it helped the players an extra time. But I still don't think Bryn Morris adds a lot to this side in terms of progressive passes or duels or tackling. And yeah, uh, I, I do think Portsmouth's depth at centre midfield isn't good enough at the moment. That, and was that's my the next one question. that was my question next. In January, do we need to go out and get another centre midfielder? It depends. You, you're going, you'll be asking a centre midfielder to sit on the bench, aren't you? As a third choice. We'd have to do some research to figure out what sort of player would do that. And the sort of player that would fit this 4-4-2 especially, I think still with Ben Close as a player there, you don't throw him to the weeds already, I don't think. But again, uh, I will preface this. I will go into more detail on Bryn Morris's stats and I will watch more of his games because it's easy just to say that he's rubbish. I will have a more detailed opinion on that later. But at the moment, without me doing all that work, uh, he doesn't do it for me at all. And one aside on Sean Raggett, uh, you mentioned his aerial duels earlier. His aerial duel percentage is 67.48, which is 20th in the league in League One. But even though he's 20th, He's played 1,200 minutes, which is the second highest out of all these players that I've got listed. The only one that's higher in terms of minutes and aerial duels is Mark Beavers, Peterborough. Who he knows. So he's up there. Yeah. He's up there. Yeah. No. Good job, Braggart. All right. Anything else to say on this game before we get into these interviews we've got, Freddie? I've... Oh, wait a second. A lot of people... uh, Let's talk about the fight. Let's talk about the fight, mate. <laughs> the fight, the handbag. Let's talk about the scrap. Um, Let's talk about the, the handbags scrap <laughs> at the end of the game. It was, I, it, I like I cut, it. I like to I, see the passion yeah. of the boys in the field. They obviously care. We're on a good run. We don't like Oxford, let's be honest. You know, they're overrated. I don't, I don't that, blame that. them. They've got, they got Carl Robinson as a manager. I don't blame them either. No, um, no. A lot of people say how they really hate that sort of stuff in football. It's going to happen. I mean, think about the last time you played five-a-side Anybody who plays five-a-side football will shout at somebody at some point. It ends after 90 minutes. It's fine. I, I liked the handbags. It showed that, I think, from the top of my head, it was Ronan Curtis. who Someone grabbed Ronan Curtis's testicles. Matt Taylor. Matty Matt Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. And considering that Preston's Darnell Fisher, that investigation went through where he did a similar thing. I think it was towards Callum Patterson of Sheffield Wednesday, I think, but don't quote me on that because I can't remember. But... He did the same thing and he got banned for it. I think Matt Taylor will get a ban for it as well. And it was good that they back, it's good that they backed Curtis up after that game. And you could tell it was going to be it was a feisty game beforehand anyway. It was uh, Jack Watmore and um Aguier, the Oxford center, uh, striker were kicking seven bells out of each other the entire game. So I it was going to happen. Don't overblow it. It wasn't a big thing with massive headlines of mass brawl over the top of it. It was just a bit of handbags after a competitive game. And I did like that. The the, uh, the boys supported Ronan after that game and uh, they seemed very together. Exactly. Get in there, support the boys, support the lads. It shows the togetherness they've got in the squad and it shows how much they care, how much they want to win. So all for it. I know maybe some people were talking about the fact that it doesn't say it good. Good example. 
maybe that is the case. But we all know in sports, it's all about mentality. And if their guys there can show that, I'm up for yeah, it. Yeah, and, and athletes are the most competitive people you you could possibly imagine. So there's, so things like that are always going to happen. And for kids watching who aren't who, you think oh, it's a bad example for the kids. <sighs> yes and no. Obviously, you don't want kids fighting over put kids on the pitch, do you? But yes. with that competitive mentality, you, you you learn and you're better off the pitch as well. So I don't yeah, mind that. Freddie, me and you watch a lot of ice hockey as well. And that's the most competitive game out there as well. And you know what? If it's not working out, drop the gloves, get stuck in there and then go and have a beer after the game together. So that that's my opinion on it. All right, let's get into it. So the first one of the, of the interviews we've got, we've got Lewis. He works for Kingsland Football Club. He's one of the guys in the media over there. Um, so he knows what's going on with Kingsland. I didn't know much about them. Freddie knew a little bit about them, but we thought, you know, let's get Lewis on. So here's Lewis from Kingsland Football Club media team. So I'm here now with Lewis Hawkins, who's um, media at Kingsland. And Lewis, thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. I'm glad I managed to track you, one of you guys down and get you onto, onto the podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your time. No, that's brilliant. No, I'm, I'm really happy to be on. No, awesome. All right, so I'm going to start this off because sometimes we start these opposition views off and Pompey fans, like, you know, we've just done the Blackpool one, for instance, and some of the fans will know a little bit about Blackpool, but Kings Lynn is a bit of a different one, really, mate. So just start us off with, you know, you've just been promoted this season. What are your fan expectations for, for this season? It's the highest we've ever been, so I'd imagine most fans would just be happy to stay in the in the uh, in the division. I mean, playing playing the likes of Notts County and Yeovil, who in like former football league clubs. I mean, that's huge. I mean, never mind uh, this weekend's game against uh, Portsmouth. I would I'd say keeping keeping up this season is what everyone would be happy with. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Lewis. I, I watched I've watched a tiny bit of National League North, being from York City. Um, didn't Kingsland go up for the first time of asking for that division, or am I wrong? What, from the National League North? Yeah. Yeah, straight, uh, it was back-to-back promotions. And uh, how have the squad, how, how has the squad held up being in the National League, and what's the difference between two divisions? Is it a, bit, is it a big gap in quality or not? Um, I don't think the gap is as big as a lot of people make out. I mean, we're currently uh, 14th in the table, uh, or 12th even, and uh, no, I mean we've played a few games more, but we've we've come against some teams like Maidenhead. Like at the start of the season, they were struggling, but we managed to we got a win against them. But now they're beating the likes of Notts County and Solihull, who are high flying in the league. So it's a bit like the football league; like anyone can beat anyone, and uh, it keeps it keeps the league fresh and entertaining. But no, I don't think I don't think the gap is as big as what people make out. And uh, what sort of tactical setup do Kings in? Layout us. Um, well, we started the season with like a, a four-four-two with a tight diamond, but uh, we've got a few heavy defeats with that. So we moved to this uh, five-three-two with the, the wing backs and the holder midfielder, and that seems to be doing well for us. I mean, we've got four four wins that are last five now using that, so we're really picking up the pace. Is that the sort of formation you think against Pompey? I'm guessing, Do you have you changed your formation depending on who you're playing against? Or do you have a sort of a, a defined playing style? You know, do, do Kingsley want to get the ball down and, and pass it around, retain possession? Or, you know, are you, do you try and get the ball forward quickly? How would you define the way that Kingsley play as a football club? 
Um, I think we try. I think we try and play attractive football. You know, that sort of like pass, passing from the back, building up sort of thing. But uh, no, we do we do like to play it. But if we're not afraid to also lump it upfield, if it's getting to that sort of last ten minutes and the game's getting a bit bit tight at the back. But no, we like we like uh, keeping the ball at the feet. We don't like it sort of in the air sort of thing. So we keep it we keep we keep it pretty, but it doesn't always work. Obviously, out of all the players that pointed that jumped out at me when I was looking at the Kingston squad, Adam Marriott was the obvious one since 2018. 65 games, 53 goals for Kingsley. I, I hope those stats are right. What sort of goals does Adam Marriott score from usually, and how how, how dangerous will he be to uh, Portsmouth's back four? Um, he he scores all types of goals. Honestly, he's he's. I don't know how we managed to keep hold of him this season. He's a, he's an absolute star. I mean, you mentioned the amount of goals he scored for us. Uh, 20, 28 goals last year in the campaign. I think he's on five already this season. He's, he's a he's a gem. But some, but even even this season, sometimes he's being kept out the squad by our other strikers. We just brought Mitchell in, who's been on fire. Jamal Lozer, who's played for Norwich in the Championship before. I mean, we've got a really strong uh, bunch of strikers. Uh, so I think they could could cause Portsmouth some some trouble. But it's mainly mainly the defence defence we worrying about. And so, being in Norfolk and stuff, what's your relationship with clubs like Norwich, for instance? Is, is it the sort of do they loan you players out? Is, it, is there a historic connection there, or is it was it a bit more of a you know is there, is there love there or, or not at all? Um, we we did have a pre season with Norwich a couple uh, year they won the championship. We had a pre season at start that season with them and uh, this year we've got two of their players on loan we've got uh, Archie Mayer the goalkeeper who's our only goalkeeper at the minute at the club so hopefully he doesn't get injured and uh, we've got their young winger Simon Power who's def- definitely one to watch going forward in the future he's a, he's a quick energetic you'll, you'll see on Saturday his pace is like nothing you'll see he's a very talented talented winger and uh, it's good to have that relationship because obviously Norwich being a, a club that pr- uh, promote their academy players, I mean, most of them you see in the first team. So being able to get some of them really helps us uh, help our, achieve our goals. Yeah, and I guess that, that relationship only grows but, you know, as you guys go up the league and, and stuff like that as well. Um, Freddie, do you have anything else to ask, mate, before I tie this up? Uh, I've, got, I've got one thing. How do you expect... Kings into approach this game against Portsmouth. Will they rotate the side a bit, considering that if it feeling like the league is more of a more of a priority for them, given the FA Cup money's dropped a bit? And uh, do you think they'll pre- look to just play on the break against Portsmouth, putting those long balls against uh, to, towards Adam Marriott, or do you think they'll play a bit differently? Um, I I think that we'll put uh, our strongest strongest eleven out. I mean, this is the biggest game in the club's club's history, especially since it's reformed. Uh, so I, I think we'll I'll go think we'll go for a full full strength eleven. I think I think Marriott will play. He didn't play in the last game against Port Vale. We sort of dropped him for that game. So whether whether he starts because like I said before, we, we like uh, rotating the the forwards, but. No, definitely. Definitely, I think we'll play a strong, strong eleven, and I think we'll sort of hold, hold defensively. Like, I mean, Portsmouth will be pushing, pushing us a lot. So, just trying to keep them out, sort of thing. 
Have there been any players, Pompey players, who you know have been highlighted or that you think in particular um, Kings Lynn will need to watch out for? Uh, yes, the, the striker is his name, Morales. John Marquez. That's it. I like it. Yeah, like his old name. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely, don't worry about that. But even uh, Sean Raggett, uh, your yeah, centre back. I mean, you saw what he did with Lincoln in their FA Cup run. Uh, even he's been had a few loans things at Portsmouth permanently. Yeah, he had a sp- loan spells at Portsmouth. Yeah. He's a threat, especially for those corners. He scored yesterday as well, actually. He got a header. He scored a goal there. And he also scored a goal, which is a bit more um, regional to you guys. He scored a goal against Ipswich in the um, in the last minute, sort of what, in such time to, to score. And he was about two, two, three yards offside, but the goal was given against them. And I think there was a bit of banter there with the Ipswich fans from, from a Norwich perspective. I don't know if you know it's anything. Did you hear about that at all? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's like even because uh, a lot of the Kings Lynn fans, like because obviously the size of the club, a lot of them are Norwich fans who support Lynn as their second team. So when the draw was being done, obviously Culverhouse used to be Paul Lambert's assistant back at Norwich and Colchester and even Aston Villa. So everyone was sort of keenly looking at that, but you sort of ruined the party with that one because obviously you knocked them out because that would have been the would have been the tie if that had gone ahead. But I mean. Yeah, what can you say? Kings Lynn got further in a cup than Ipswich Town. Why are you saying that often? It's <laughs> fair. If you can get Ipswich next season when all the fans are allowed back, I think that's what you want, really, isn't it? There's no point getting them now because you know you're not going to be able to go down there and have a bit of fun. So, all right, let's let's round this up, Lewis. Lewis, how do you think the game's going to go, and what's your score prediction? Oh, uh, I mean. I'll keep optimistic and I hope we can take it to penalties. I mean, because when you get to a penalty shootout, anything can happen. But uh, I think I think it'll be I think it'll be a two-two draw, and I'll say a Lynn win on penalties. Get some money on that, Lewis. If you think that's going to happen, I'm telling you now. <laughs> if that's the case, and I'm, do you know what? I might have to put a pound on it now, just in case it happens. It's going to slap me in the face now when that happens, and I don't haven't put any money on it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll go with that. And um, all right, good luck for every part of the season, apart from from our game coming up, etc. But. <laughs> You know, I, I hope you're the best. And um, when it comes down to the the Norwich Ipswich um, rivalry and you know, you're tied into, I'm massively in Camp Norwich. Friends from Norwich, um, gone to see Norwich quite a lot. So I'm quite fond of your part of the world. Whilst that other lot, you know, in Suffolk, they, they're playing the right colour, but that's about it, really. Yeah, well, we're all we're all happy to get as many people in the Norfolk camp as possible. There you go. There you go. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we stick it to Ipswich. But Lewis, cheers, mate, for being on the, uh, on the podcast. Much appreciated. No, thank you very much for having me. Cheers, mate, and good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. All right. Cheers, bye. Cheers, bye. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. All right, thanks, Lewis, for coming on the podcast. And Freddie, are you now shitting yourself at the pact of playing against Kings Lynn? <laughs> uh, no, to be honest with you, I'm not. Um, it, there's, there's never going to be a game which will be an easy game, I don't think, even, even though you're playing against a team that's in the conference for the first time. They will create some issues. 
they've got a, they've got a player who scored about fifty three goals in sixty five games for in his career at Kingsley. So if you give him a chance, he he will put it in the back of the net, absolutely. But um, I'm not worried. Portsmouth can rotate the side a bit, and mm. defensively they should be okay. Kingsley might nick a goal early, but I think they should be fine. If you want me to do a score prediction, it'll be. 3-1 Portsmouth, but Adam Marriott for Kingsland to score first. And do you... Oh, I like that. That's a cheeky one. Getting to score first. Do you think Jack should rotate this squad? Do you think he should put, give someone like Jordi Huila a game in this in this competition? Or do you think we should be looking to get fringe players or the young guys to get some more games now? Do you think this is what we should be doing? The likes of Harvey Rue? Uh, absolutely. I think you should rotate it a bit. I certainly think players like Huila and Monoga... And one of the centre midfielders, like Close, should definitely get a game. Because um, with the five substitutes, you're going to be asking them to go on the pitch a lot more. And uh, if they're not sharp because they haven't got enough minutes in, then those substitutions aren't going to do anything. So games like this, you can rotate the side to an extent. And it'll be good for those players to uh, get out and get um, at least 60 minutes under their belt, which, which, um, which will only benefit Portsmouth in the future. Yeah, massively. I like it. I'm going to go for a little cheeky score prediction here and I think it will be two now. I can't see them scoring. I know I know, it's got a great scoring record, Freddie, but that's way down the divisions. I'm going to be confident. It'll be two now. I think we'll shop shop after two goals and uh, and just play it around. So two now is my prediction. We're probably going through into the third round and hopefully getting the tie against someone half decent. Although I can't travel to watch it, so I'm sort of half disengaged with the whole process, to be honest. But... We spoke to Tom from the Up the Mighty Pool podcast, UTMP, and he talks to us about Blackpool, their struggles through this for getting out of the Olsen ownership, and really, let's be honest, focuses on the game against Pompey. So here is Tom from the Up the Mighty Pool podcast. All right, so I'm here with Tom from the Up the Mighty Pool podcast, and Tom, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, great to be on. Thanks for asking me to come on. No, cheers for coming on, mate. So um, let's let's kick it off. So, where are Blackpool's fans' um, expectations this season, and uh, you know how are you finding it? Yeah, so when we obviously signed seventeen players in the summer, so generally the feeling was that we were sort of, I guess initially we were initially, initially we were thinking, well, we did okay last season, finished mid-table. It won't take much for us to get from there into the playoffs, and then when we sort of threw everybody out and signed a whole new team then it quickly became okay this might take a little bit of time so generally the hope is that we're going to make the playoffs but we're not fully expecting to blow teams away yet this season and it's going to be a learning so as you saw with our start I mean it, it wasn't massively unexpected but it still hurt when it happened when we lost four of the first five and then there's always been positive signs so since then we've now sort of gone on a bit of a winning run we won five in all competitions up until last night and so going into the Portsmouth game we're fairly we're the best we've been all season but there's still that fragility about us so the hope is that you know if we can maintain a level of consistency we should be there or thereabouts but it won't no one's going to be feeling horrific if we don't make the playoffs this season yeah and so a bit like Pompey Blackpool have made a change which has changed around their fortunes a little bit haven't they and you've changed up the formation from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2 which Pompey fans listening will be quite um, you know, quite familiar with in that sense. But how has that impacted Blackpool and the way you play? And is that the main reason for your change in, um, in fortune? Yeah, so at the start, we, we weren't doing too badly, but we were a little bit passive in midfield. So we had three sitting in midfield who didn't create too much going forward. And then we had one striker up front, which was Jerry Yates, who 
just couldn't score. It, you know, when you sign a new striker, you need him to get that first goal and it, it went games and games. Uh, and we'd try Gary Medine a couple of times, but then the high press wasn't quite working because he's a bit a different type of striker. He's a bit more player who will hold it up. So both of the options we had as a forward weren't working on their own. So we almost stumbled across 4-4-2, which brings the best out of the two strikers at the expense of one of the midfielders. Uh, and then we signed Kenny Dougal, who played for Barnsley, done really well at this level in the past, and he's just transformed our midfield. It's almost as though he's doing the work of two players and, and that wouldn't, so we've not lost anything in the midfield, but also we're finding ways for our strikers to start scoring. So the way we've been playing in the last few games is we're creating plenty. We've got good attacking wingers in Hamilton and Kaka, who have both scored in recent games as well. So plenty going forwards, but also having that balance in midfield as well. So with all the signings that you've made, the Blackpool have made, which one stand out to you the most? I've noticed CJ Hamilton a lot mm-hmm. from most of the EFL highlights I've watched. He's signed up a lot, a lot of strikers and very progressive midfielders, I would say. Not a lot mm-hmm. of defensive options. One uh, one defensive option I liked was Luke Garber. I looked at him for Portsmouth, potentially yeah. signing, and that would have been a good signing at left-back. Out of yeah. all those 13 or so players that Blackpool have signed, which, uh, which one stands out to you and, uh, and makes you think this side could play a, be a playoff season, team this season? Yeah, so it's 17 we've signed, actually. So it's a full new squad, pretty much. And a lot of them signed in January as well. So... I think our, we've only got two or three players who've been here for longer than sort of three transfer windows, which is unheard of, really. But um, yeah, in terms of specific players for this window who we've signed, Jerry Yates has become a fan favourite quite quickly just because he works his socks off. He he's really take it, you know, he takes the game to the opposition. He's, he's constantly pressing. He seems a bit of a character both on and off the field. So he looks quite good. It's difficult to pick one because, like you said, CJ Hamilton looks really dangerous little bit of a headless chicken so he doesn't seem to know what he's going to do himself which frightens the defenders because if if he doesn't know what he's going to do nobody else does he's just he's lightning quick so he's always dangerous he got a goal and an assist against uh, Doncaster um, Kenny Google like I've touched on real Rolls Royce for centre half uh, centre midfielder sorry for this level so he's got bleach blonde hair in centre midfield you'll notice him straight away uh, and then at the back Daniel Ballard on loan from Arsenal has been Brilliant. So he's, he got sent off, so he missed three games, and then he's been away with Northern Ireland as well, so he's missed about five games. Um, but given that we conceded three against Doncaster, I'd expect him to play on Saturday against Harrogate and then potentially keep his place against Portsmouth. So the span of the team, really, striker, centre midfield and centre-half, have all been really impressive so far. Um, and it's interesting when you guys line up as, against Pompey because it's going to be a, a 4-4-2 versus a 4-4-2 and Blackpool sort of like to, you know, they're not going to dominate possession, I think it's fair to say, and, and they've got some quick players that, that will hit you quite hard um, and Pompey would do the same. But when you look at a Pompey side, who, who do you think are the main players that threaten you and you know, who do you want to look at? So I think Marquis at this level is a goal scorer. He seems to me from what I've seen as a bit of a lump up front without being disrespectful one of those, he's a big unit so he's good in the air but seems to be one of those that holds it up and brings players into play so a bit of an old fashioned centre half uh, keep saying centre half a bit of an old fashioned centre forward really at this level but prolific as well so he's always one to watch out for especially both at set pieces and in um, you know in open play and then Jacobs as well on the wings always someone I've been aware of who gets goals and assists so he's someone I'd be scared Scared about, I'm assuming he's a bit of a dead ball specialist for you guys as well. So, corners and free kicks, etc. 
Um, so those two really strikers, two that would put fear into our defence really. Yeah, J- Jacobs might play in the black ball game. I'm not sure he's he's been injured for the last two to three weeks or so, but also got a lot of options on that left hand side. So I don't think. I think if Jacobs plays or not, I think it would be very dangerous for Blackpool anyway. One player who left Blackpool who, who I noticed was Armand Nandouye. Uh I mm. noticed him a lot in the Blackpool versus Sports away game that I went to. How big of a loss was he? How surprising was it? And do you think um, Blackpool have fully replaced him? It's an interesting one because we had, we had him on our, podca- our podcast actually a couple of weeks ago and spoke to him about the reasons he left. And he explained that Charlton were interested in him in the previous summer for, I think it was going to be a million pounds that they were going to pay or close to. And it didn't quite happen because of Charlton's financial position. And then January came around and they run uh, Charlton were in again, obviously going into the last six months of his contract. And I think there was a transfer embargo. And then by the time his contract ran out in the summer, it was pretty evident that he was going to go because he wanted to play higher. So it was disappointing. I mean, it's not the first time Curtis Tilt did the same. It's almost as though when the new board came in sort of 12 months ago, one of the first jobs was to get the contracts signed for Tilt and Nandale, but it didn't quite happen, unfortunately. I think it's sort of lost between the cracks and we're hopeful now. We got used to losing our best players over a number of years. Um, so the hope is that with a new board, we'd be able to keep them. We didn't quite manage to keep those two, but the hope now, given the players that have signed for this board, will be able to be maintained when their contracts are running out. It's happened with Matty Virtue this year, someone who's out of contract next summer. He signed an extension already, so we're starting to see a club be run properly. So, yes, it's a massive loss, but unfortunately, it was just we, it was it was part of the culture that players would just leave on a free. It happened to our Premier League side ten years ago, and ever since, players who've done well have just departed. Touching on that as well, whilst he scored a lot of goals, he was there was a certain way we had to play to accommodate him. We had Liam Feeney on the wing who'd whip the crosses in and it worked well, but there was n- not really another another plan when that didn't quite work and we got found out a little bit by a team just putting two men on Feeney, cutting the supply chain and Angela, um, the goals dried up a little bit. So I think, would he have been Critchley's man? I don't know how much he would have played this season necessarily, whether he'd fit in quite as well as he did last season. So I think the fans realised that it wasn't, it was... Obviously, it was never good to lose your top striker for free, but it wasn't the end of the world that he was going. And we've adequately replaced him by signing sort of three or four players in an attacking sense that just offer a different dimension, really. And uh, you mentioned the board earlier. Obviously, the Oysters have got less pool in Blackpool anymore, thankfully. Uh, how refreshing is it to have a new board that the supporters can have some sort of trust in? Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I had to stop going five years ago when we got the Huddersfield game postponed. We all sort of went on the pitch and got that game abandoned, and it was just a toxic place in the world, uh, a pl- place to go on the, in the weekend. And people just had to find other things to do. People were going shopping at weekends, supporting local teams, falling out of love with football altogether, going to the England games maybe. Everyone went off and did their own thing, and there's a lot of divide amongst the fan base. So a lot of people fell out with each other. And then in the, in the years since, people have lost loved ones in the meantime. I had to patch things up with friends who they've maybe fallen out with over the whole thing. It's been a massive court case that's gone on. So having gone through all that, we were just so glad to be back in that homecoming game against Southend when 
we sold out a capacity crowd, the highest that Blackpool crowd that there's been in 30, 40 years, because it was only sort of 500 or so away fans and we sold the rest of the ground out, which was just unbelievable. I never expected to be back in Bloomfield Road. That's how bad it was under the previous regime. Um, so to get back is just amazing. And, and to have a local business, not local anymore, but he's a set, he was born in Blackpool um, and he's now made his money out in Hong Kong. Uh, so, you know, he's a Blackpool fan. He used to go on the terraces and now he's a self-made sort of millionaire who's got the club's own interests at heart. And it's we've almost gone from having the worst chairman in the Football League to one of the best. And how great is it to have a supporter in charge? So he's been doing things. He's obviously been held back by the COVID situation. It's cost him £6 million to keep the club afloat this year. But you can see little things like the rust around the stadium has been painted. Uh, the training ground has plans to to um, bring that in. They're supporting the women's football a bit better, the youth system, getting things in place for a club that our size should have had all along, throwing all the skeletons out of the closet. And, and there's a real good feel, feel good factor around the club. It's just a shame that obviously we can't actually get out there and support, support the lads at the minute. No, it is a shame at the moment, but hopefully with the new changes and restrictions, some fans might get to the games depending on the COVID tier around Blackpool, obviously. Yeah. I went to um, I went to two games. Is it tier three up there? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I went to two games at Blackpool. Pre and post Oyston. Right. The, 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 the pre Oyston when they were there. It, 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 I think the best way to describe it was it was barren. I walked into the stadium, obviously bought as least as uh, the least amount of things in there as I could, obviously. <laughs> Went in there, and there was no. Obviously, you imagine a stadium to be put a full a full end of Blackpool supporters, and there was nobody. There were literally just pockets of Blackpool fans all the way around the stadium, maybe in their old season ticket spots. No end or anything. It was a real surreal experience. So it, it must be. I can't imagine what it must it be like to have that owner again, and essentially you've got a club to support now again after five years in the doldrums. So. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, we, we feel like we've lost a little bit of time. So there's a bit of urgency around us a little bit in terms of we feel like we were, we we should be in the championship really. And, and a lot of fans weren't happy with the way that we were just allowed to die at that level and just be thrown out, throw ourselves out of that league with no real fight with a, you know, a pathetic group of players who were there just to get paid. And we got really low points total in the championship and then end up straight back into League Two, similar position to yourselves, just falling through the leagues and fighting to get back up. So I'm sure you feel similar to us in that you shouldn't be here in the first place. And it's just, it's hard getting back up, isn't it? And you feel every loss hurts a little bit more because you feel you shouldn't be here in the first place and fighting to get back up to that level where you just need a fair shot at getting back, uh, you know, at the level you, you deserve to be at. Yeah, and now you've got rid of um, Simon Grayson, who I think is one of the only other managers in in this league. I think is more of a dinosaur before we talked about than anyone else in this league, yeah. management wise. Um, I think you guys are on the uptrend, and I actually thought you'd be have a top ten finish this season. I thought playoffs maybe is a bit of a push, um, but I think you'll be there or thereabouts. And if you can continue this new formation, pushing forward in the way you have been playing, I don't see why you wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't be in around that top ten. Um, let's just quickly round this up because I know you've got to go, Tom. So let's just say this now. So Pompey versus Blackpool, back onto the game. What's your score prediction? So we're at home. Uh, we've got a decent run of form. So I'd probably go with an arrow victory to Blackpool. However, 
a draw wouldn't, wouldn't be the end of the world either. The only reason I wouldn't go with a draw is because we've only won, drawn once out of 13, so I'll probably go with a 2-1 victory. All or nothing then for Blackpool, right? Yeah, but we'll win or lose. Don't worry about that. <laughs> All right, Tom. Cheers, mate, for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, mate. He's a top lad. Um, and uh, tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Um, so at UTMP underscore on Twitter and UTMP.BFC on Instagram as well. Cool. We'll go give uh, Tom and the lads a follow over there doing some great stuff. And cheers again, Tom. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks, mate. After Tuesday as well for the season. Yeah, and you, mate. And you. All right, have a good one. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Tom, mate. It was appreciated. And I think we've got a little bit more now, Freddie, because there's a lot of changes at Blackpool, a little bit more of a flavour of what Blackpool were about. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, He went into detail about how much the side has changed from last season and it was a lot. I personally think this Blackpool have improved even though they've had a large amount of player turnover so I think it will be a tough game for Portsmouth next. Massively. And let's get into it, Freddie, because we're running a little bit short on time this week and let's say, what's your score prediction for the game against Blackpool? <sighs> Away from home, it'll be a struggle. Uh, I'm going to go over two or draw. I think they've got, they're got they doing well at the moment as well. They're in good form. I'm going to go with a 2-1 Pompey win. I think that we can get a result against Blackpool who will match up directly against us in a 4-4-2 formation. I think we'll get a bit of luck against that because if we're going to play the same game, I think Pompey match up better than Blackpool. So I'm going to go with a 2-1 win and goals from Andy Cannon to get one. Get on that score sheet, son. I'm all about that. And John Marquis to get the second one and get back on track with the goal scoring. So, all right, well, let's see if we get the points. I'm hopeful for a couple of wins. Freddie thinks he might get a draw away at Blackpool. Let's see what happens. But until next time, Pompey fans. Wait, one thing. One thing I will say, poppynewsnow.com. We have revamped the writing team on there. Uh, I'm editor, so you can shout at me if anything goes wrong. If you notice a grammatical error, you can shout at me for that if you want. And yeah, we, we've revamped the writing team. We've done some stuff. We got I got some interviews with Simon Ferry and Guy Whittingham and there have been some analysis and opinion articles done already and there will be more on the website in the future. So on all social, if you just search pompeynewsnow.com, you'll be able to find that or type Pompey News Now on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. So we'll be promoting that and I'll be honest we've got some really exciting writers there together which Freddie has basically hand-picked out of a load of people I know who applied for originally so cheers to everyone who did put in an application but yeah no much appreciated and guess what I think we're going to have the best all-round Portsmouth coverage out there no pressure Freddie <laughs> none at all <laughs> alright Pompey fans thanks for listening and until next time play up Pompey You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!